I love this reading that Kate, I don't know that I'd really noticed it all that much before. I mean, I read through First uh, Timothy, but it was an, it's an interesting verse. Now let's go back and read it again that Kate just read to us. Beyond all question, this is the Apostle Paul saying this to Timothy. And he says, beyond all question or without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. If you think some things are mysterious, so did the Apostle Paul. It's a mystery. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. We read that story and the story of the angels as it relates to Jesus from his birth all the way to his death. We see uh, this reference to angels. He was believed in throughout the world and he was taken into glory. A summary of the gospel, 1 Timothy 3 16. I would agree with Paul, wouldn't you? This is the story. Albert Einstein once said, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. My prayer is that as we live the story of Christmas, we are choosing this second way. Mary gave birth to a baby. The baby was not ordinary, but Emmanuel, God with us. And though born in obscurity, this baby was something different, worshiped by angels, as the text says, shepherds, wise men, heralded as the fulfillment of all of Israel's longings, named Savior, the one who saves us from our sin, Matthew chapter 1, Christ the Lord. Dare we ever tire of this story and its telling? The story of Jesus' birth. You got to admit, if you look at the details, it is a mystery. And it is also miraculous. Neither one are particularly understandable in some ways in our rational ways of looking at the world. Beyond explanation, beyond understanding. So I want to focus on the part that I can get my arms around today, and that is the meaning. I can't fully enter into the mystery and get it. I certainly see that it's miraculous and can't explain it. But I want to say something about what our scripture reveals to us about the meaning of his coming. First of all, in his birth, I want to suggest that the infinite cosmic God, the universal one that is worshipped the world over, makes a limitless stoop to us. I saw this phrase the other day, and I thought, that captures it. The infinite stoop. It describes Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, that instead he gave up his divine privileges. 
He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Gave up. That word kenosis means he made himself nothing. Jesus Christ emptied himself. He didn't insist on his rights. He becomes a slave. He gives up his position, his personal parking spot in heaven, his authority, his place in the universe. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians is telling us this, not even to so much make a theological argument, but to tell us that this is the mindset that we too are to have if we're to live in harmony and unity with other people. It's the reason verse 5 of this very section says, in your relationships with one another, have this mindset of Christ. Philippians 2.5. The mindset of Christ that is witnessed in his willingness to leave heaven and come to us. The humility of God in the incarnation is our teacher. He is a teacher about who God is and what our God is like. Our teacher about how to use knowledge and competency and position and influence and power. Our teacher about how to lead and relate in our workplace and in the church and particularly in our homes. Verse 8 stresses after he became nothing that he was found in appearance as a man. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so the incarnation is one step in this process of God emptying himself by entering into our world. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful word picture where he described and looked at all of this and he was trying to write and understand and, 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 and express the meaning just as we're talking about here of the incarnation and he looked down and there was this dog at his feet. And he said, imagine for a moment that your dog and every dog is in deep distress and some of us love dogs very much. I know some of you are cat lovers, but we love our dogs very much. And he says, if it would help all the dogs in the world to become like men, would you be willing to become a dog? Would you put down your human nature Leave your loved ones, leave your job, leave your hobbies. He didn't say sports, but we better include sports. Your art and literature and music and choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved, the poor substitute of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your tail unable to smile or speak. His point being, Christ by becoming man limited the thing which to him was the most precious thing in the world. His unhampered, unhindered 
communion with the Father. You see what I mean by infinite swoop? What it would have taken for him to leave that relationship in Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in communion and relationship with one another to become one of us. Our life as a follower of Christ, it can be confident, it can be courageous, it can be competent, but it is always to be shaped and influenced and guided by the infinite stoop. Seems to me if we could get that, there would be a lot fewer conflicts in the world. And what I'm trying to say is the Christ coming to us is so meaningfully practical if we'll understand what has happened in his birth. Raises the question, is my approach to life aligned with the one who made the infinite stoop? Number two. The incarnation then tells us that he camped out with us. You might have heard this before from John's gospel or for those of you who have dabbled in a little Greek, you might have looked at this, that he tabernacled among us, that he camped with us. John 1, 14, he dwelled, he made his, his home in our neighborhood, not just for us, but to know us, but for us to know that he knows us. And I describe this as the comprehensive empathy of God to experience our humanity. And uh, never can we say again, and this is so again meaningfully practical, never can we say again, God, you just don't understand. Or you don't get it. It is a profound spiritual leap when we move from thinking that God is outside our realm and our being, and our inmost thoughts, and our feelings, and that he is actually experiencing them with us. I think it takes some time in our own journey, in our own faith journey, to move from thinking that God is out there to recognizing through his Holy Spirit he is in here. And he experiences us fully he knows us what kind of God is this Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says it this way for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses I love the language of empathy particularly in a culture like our own that is preoccupied and obsessed with feelings with our feelings everything is about how we feel but here is God who is saying, I understand your feelings. I don't know about you, but I need a counselor or a coach who gets it, who's been there, and he understands our pain, and he understands our frustration, and he understands our suffering, and read through the scripture. He understands our embarrassment, and he understands our grief. And to take on these things with such magnitude that we then see him hanging from a cross, we know that he knows. 
David McAuliffe tells the story that in spite of his best efforts, there was a surgeon, Richard Selzer, had to cut the nerve of a young woman's cheek in order to get at a tumor she had on her face. And the result of the cut by the surgeon was that her mouth was permanently misshapen. And Selzer, the doctor, was uncertain as to how her husband would respond to this. And therefore he was encouraged when the young man came in and the young man was warm and he was caring to his wife and he even joked about her new cute look. But when he saw what happened next, that is Selzer the surgeon, he was encouraged to the point of awe. The young husband bent down towards his wife twisted his own lips to fit her crooked mouth and gently kissed her. This is the picture of the incarnation. The divine word making himself like us, experiencing our world in every way. God bent down, twisted his lips, kissed the crooked lips of a crooked world, misshapen by our sin, by our despair, by our brokenness, with his love and mercy. Number three, in his birth, the holy, we are shown, oh, that was number two, in his birth, what we are shown what the true God is most like. In other words, Emmanuel means God with us. But here's my experience, that in spite of all the teachings in the Bible, Many of us, I believe, are not really convinced that Jesus fully and accurately shows us who God is and what God is like. Seems to me that we live with a lot of preconceived views, maybe somewhat based on Old Testament conceptions of God that never get quite revised through the filter of Jesus Christ. Maybe because of our own sinful nature, we distort the understanding. But it seems to me on a fairly consistent basis, we deny what the scripture itself says about how God reveals himself in Jesus. 
John 1.18 says it so plainly. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God as in, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. I want to invite you to believe what the Scripture says. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus says to Philip, anyone who has seen me has what? Seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The practical meaning of the incarnation is that he who has seen Jesus has seen the Father God. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 with me for just a moment. The scripture says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. Our hearts are dark. They require the light of God to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. How do we get that knowledge of God's glory, the light? It comes, that comes from God. It's displayed in the face of Christ. I invite you to believe the meaning of his coming as we find our God in the face of Christ. Who is God and what is he like we have a God that loves us not because we are lovable but because of his love. This happens in no other religion. We are actively reached in love even while unlovable. And the coming of Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection, it's the evidence of the love. We cannot reach God but he has reached us. Not because we asked him to, because he desires to be with us. I want to ask you again as we close this morning, what else has more meaning than this? And as you spend time with family, and as you celebrate the holiday, will you line up all the things in your life that matter? Do a little consideration and reflection. And I think you'll find that some things are more important than others. And as you make your list, I would love for you to consider these truths of the meaning. Does anything compare to a God who infinitely stoops for you? Who completely feels with you? Who brilliantly reveals himself to you? Mysterious for sure Miraculous without a doubt, meaningful in every way 
beyond measure. Merry Christmas to you.